Welcome to Have You Heard, the AABP podcast. My name is Dr. Fred Gingrich. I'm the executive director of AABP. This podcast is sponsored by Beringer Engelheim, who is a premier sponsor of our annual conference with the opening reception that we had in Milwaukee on Wednesday evening. I want to thank BI for sponsoring our conference as well as providing the content for this podcast, which is very relevant to practicing veterinarians. Today, we're going to talk about vaccination in the face of maternal antibodies. And our guests today are Dr. Joe Gillespie, who is a senior professional services veterinarian with Beringer Engelheim, and also Dr. Chris Chase, professor at South Dakota State University. We're going to walk through how we vaccinate calves and how maternal antibodies can affect how we develop vaccination protocols for beef and dairy farms, specifically targeting bovine respiratory disease pathogens, a major cause of morbidity and mortality in both beef and dairy calves. So stay tuned for this information and look at the links in our show notes for f- further resources. Stay tuned. I want to thank Beringer Ingelheim for sponsoring this podcast. Beringer Ingelheim is a uh, premier sponsor for our annual conference as well as for our recent graduate conference. And part of that sponsorship opportunity, we get to do a podcast uh, developed by that sponsor. And so today we have two guests with us. We have Dr. Joe Gillespie and Dr. Chris Chase. Chris, I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself first. Go ahead. Certainly. Uh... Glad to be with you today, Fred. Uh, so I've uh, been at South Dakota State uh, since 1992. I uh, graduated of Iowa State and then got my, that's where I got my DVM and then got my PhD in immunology and virology from the University of Wisconsin. And I'm a professor at South Dakota State University. Thanks, Chris. Joe, go ahead and introduce yourself, please. Sure, Fred. Again, it's a great opportunity to join you today and have a good discussion with our listeners. My name is Dr. Joe Gillespie. I am a senior professional services veterinarian with Baron Ringelheim. I joined the company about five years ago after 25 years in practice in Western Nebraska. And today I support our business and our sales force in the majority of the Northwestern United States, quarter of the U.S both in the beef and dairy business. Today, as we mentioned in our introduction, we're going to talk about a topic that probably a lot of veterinarians discuss with their producers. There's lots of information out there, conflicting information probably, and so we're going to dive right in and talk about how maternal in- antibodies may influence immunity and vaccination. Joe, we're going to start off with you. Let's first just level set and say, what are maternal antibodies and how long do they typically provide protection to that calf? So maternal antibodies are the immunoglobulin IgG component that is absorbed in the calf's digestive tract uh, from that first feeding of colostrum. And what we're getting with that is is basically uh, a certain level of protection against pathogens that dam may have seen previously, whether that previous 
example of that pathogen was through vaccination or natural exposure. And then that animal's natural immune system places those antibodies into the colostrum and then they're passed to the calf. And that calf gets that level of protection from the start. Most of our calves are born basically naive to pathogens. And this is a way to give them some perfect, some protection in the beginning portion of their life. And as far as how long that lasts, it varies from pathogen to pathogen and also from animal to animal. For extremes, we can see BVD antibody protection from colostrum out to six or seven, eight months, but possibly. And for other viruses like BRSV, it may be a much shorter time frame. One of the goals is to make sure that we actually have protection through that entire calf's life from colostrum to the transition to them developing their own. Chris, do maternal antibodies protect calves the same way that if we vaccinated that calf, is it the same process? Fred, that antibody in this case certainly is, it's observed as, as Joe just pointed out, is actually it's IgG. And so basically IgG, whether it's produced by a vaccine or if it's absorbed by passive antibody from the cow is, is IgG. The, the difference is, as, as Joe just alluded to, is with maternal antibody, the maternal antibodies have a half-life. An antibody in general has a half-life. But the, the deal, because the maternal antibody is received right at birth, there's going to be a decay with that. And, and again, one of the biggest issues with that then, as has been alluded to already, is that for things like IVR and, and BVD, we know the half-life is around 21 days or so. Something like BRSV ends up being more problematic because it can vary from probably as low as a half-life of, say, 10 or 12 days all the way out to 35 to, to, to 40 days. So the, the, what that means is that how well that calf is going to be protected can vary a lot. Now, on the other hand, with active, when you have the, the active immunity that we get with vaccination, what, what's the result that with that is that the antibody that's produced, there's half-life to that, but because we have memory and because we have B cells that will make more antibody, we can replenish that. And we can't do that with colostral antibody. So colostral antibody has a very finite amount of time that it can protect. And, and as, as Joe alluded to, it varies by the pathogen and by the animal, by how much antibody was actually in the colostrum of that animal. So the beauty with active immunity is that the animal is making its own antibody, which gives it also the opportunity then to replenish it to provide protection and hopefully lifelong. And Joe, let's take one step back and talk about some of the pathogens that might be involved with bovine respiratory disease that we could vaccinate for. Sure, Fred. The, the major viral pathogens that we're most concerned about in a young calf or a combination of BVD and two types of BVD, type 1 and type 2, and currently, if you look at the data out there from persistently infected and carrier animals, the majority of that is type BVD type 1B, about 85% of what they're seeing from some data that we collected over the last few years at Baringer Ingelheim. The other pathogens that we're concerned about are BRSV or bovine syncytial virus. One of the things that Frankly, I learned from Dr. Chase over the years 
is that's a highly infective virus and, and, and can be problematic because of its ability to transmit from animal to animal. And then we have IBR, bovine herpes virus, and then finally bovine parainfluenza. Those are the five major viruses that we're trying to, with most of our commercially available vaccines, protect against for bovine respiratory disease. There are also some examples of bacterial components that could be vaccinated for, but if you look across the industry, the majority of veterinarians and companies are trying to promote good, healthy vaccination for those five major viral pathogens. And Chris, when, when we're talking about BRD and we're talking about young calves, and we just mentioned that if they get good colostrum, they're going to have some maternal antibodies there. Why then is it important that we consider vaccinating calves early in life against these BRD pathogens? Again, the, the, one of the primary reasons is particularly I think that we see that with BRSV in particular is because of the variability in the maternal antibody, our understanding and our ability to actually how good that protection is can really vary by animal to animal. So there's that issue so that we've got literally the window of susceptibility can vary so much that maybe in some calves that they're protected only for a few weeks and other ones, it's going to be, it's going to be several months. And it's really, it's hard to predict that just in the general herd. And then, of course, the other reason to do it in young calves is to get them ready for any stressful events that, that are going to occur. Obviously, weaning, or doing transportation, those kind of things where we're going to have additional stresses. So being able to have those animals already set up so that as they get out into the cold, cruel world, they're already set to go. That's important. But again, so it's both of those things. It's one is to make sure that we, again, don't have animals that are susceptible just because, again, of the variability of maternal antibody. And then secondly, that we got we have them ready to go so that when they do have those, those stressful events, commingling or whatever it is, they're ready. They're all set and ready to go. Joe, let's talk a little bit about some of the challenges that we could maybe face when we're vaccinating young calves and they have maternal antibodies. What are some of those things that veterinarians and producers should be aware of? Probably one of the biggest challenges that we see with those young calves is well-managed colostral programs on the front end. So whether you're in a dairy production system where you're providing that or you're in a beef cow-calf system where the cow is being asked for that, we have already talked about the value of that colostrum and the antibodies that are associated, the IgG that's associated with that. One of the major concerns and or risks that we see associated with that is we are asking for a vaccine to stimulate the calf's immune response, even in the face of those maternal antibodies. We don't want to wait until that calf has lost all of those maternal antibodies because then he's at risk of exposure to natural pathogens. But at the same time, we don't want it to negatively interfere. And there was some thinking years ago that the only way to get calves to respond to cell-mediated immune response and the development of IgG from a systemic immune response was to do it after the maternal antibodies had started to go down. What we've seen with some newer research is, and in particular with 
well-adjuvanted vaccines, we can create that same response in a younger calf, which, as Dr. Chase alluded to a minute ago, allows for that transition. So we have the waning or the decline of the maternal antibodies from passive immunity and the development or positive development of immunity from vaccination, allowing for better overall protection of that calf throughout its young life. And the earlier that we can do that without negative interference, the more positive impact that we can have on that calf's health long-term. And Chris, when we look at the, the vaccine shelf that we have available now, there's just a multitude of vaccines out there. Can you walk through some of the highlights of the different types of vaccines, such as intranasal, modified live, killed, and advantages and disadvantages when we're talking about that young calf? As Fred, this is always an interesting topic to, to talk about. What's the best and what's the best in certain situations? I think we'll start with intranasal. Uh, intranasal, we know, uh, we're obviously, we're delivering that on a, on a mucosal surface. And one of the things, again, that, that Joe just alluded to is one of the things that we're always concerned about when we vaccinate is the, we talked about the importance of maternal antibody, but in this case, we're talking about interference, maternal antibody. Because the thing about antibody is that whether it's act, from active vaccination or from colostrum is that it's directed against that particular virus. And so when we give a, a live vaccine, one of the things that we have to be aware of, and particularly, is interference. And the idea that, again, that, that antibody that's there, it doesn't know the difference between a vaccine virus and a field virus. So one of the advantages with intranasal is that typically, again, because colostal antibody is all IgG, very little of that ever gets to the surface on the mucosal surface. When I give an intranasal vaccine, the, the antigen has the opportunity to grow and not be interfered with from the antibody because the antibody is basically all systemic. That's certainly one of the one of the, the bigger advantages to with intranasals. The second thing that we need to be aware of, though, is with intranasal vaccines, is typically the length of time that they give us duration of immunity is, is relatively short, 60, 70 days, and that's why it's always important that we typically we run a follow-up with a parental vaccine. So that's one of the certainly one of the downsides to intranasal vaccines is that typically we think of them as giving us a little bit short-lived immunity. And the other problem is, to be quite honest with you, is although you can see protocols out there where they give multiple doses of intranasal vaccine with the idea that somehow that second dose is going to enhance the response, there's just really not a lot of data that indicates that that's true. That in fact, that giving intranasal upon intranasal, really there isn't much of an advantage to that. And typically, if I, as I look at giving an intranasal and then following that with a parental, I think that ends up being a better way to go. When we look at modified live vaccines, and again, obviously, intranasals are live as well. But we look at the modified live parentally administered vaccines. There, we certainly have to be really concerned about maternal interference because now we're giving it to them systemically. The, the, the virus is going to interact, obviously, with tissue and blood components that are in, in the lymph nodes and those kind of things. So in this case, maternal antibody and active antibody, if, if they've been animals already been previously vaccinated, can indeed be an issue. And there, the big thing, as you look at a modified live vaccine, is really the presence of an adjuvant. 
So a modified live vaccine without an adjuvant is really going to be susceptible to maternal antibody. And there's a number of studies that have shown that, that in, in non-adjuvant and modified live vaccines, that there's very poor responses. Because the key with the modified live, which is what makes them so good in terms of why we like them, is the idea that they multiply, they give that animal its immune system a look of what happens in kind of that natural infection because the virus is replicating, it's producing proteins, and those things are all. But the key word there is replicating. And it can't replicate if there's already pre-existing antibody that prevents it from being able to, it's, it neutralizes the vaccine virus and the virus can't go on and, and do its thing. So the, the thing with modified live, again, they're, they, we love them because they mimic the natural infection, but, but in the presence of maternal antibody or in the presence of a you know, well-vaccinated animal, their ability to replicate and do what they need to do to really enhance that immune response can be limited. The other thing, Again, this was some dogma that's been out there for a long time, is that the only way I can get a good mucosal response, because then most of the things that we're talking about, we're talking about respiratory disease, right? We're talking about things that have to come, that are inhaled, that come across the mucosal surface, that the only way that we could get a good mucosal response is when we give an intranasal vaccine. And, and we've certainly shown in a paper that we published a few years back that, in fact, with a properly adjuvanted modified live vaccine, that, in fact, we can get with a parentally administered vaccine, we can get a good IgA response that gives us good neutralization and good protection. So again, the key though, the key word there is adjuvant. And then finally, killed vaccines. So killed vaccines are certainly going to have an adjuvant in them, which is certainly an advantage. And typically, again, you're going to, you, you will see a response with most of them. But the key there, again, is typically with killed vaccines is that we have to give multiple doses. Uh, and again, it will depend on the adjuvant because there's certainly some types of adjuvants, particularly with alums, that probably are not nearly as protective as some of the more advanced adjuvants that we have. So again, the adjuvant ends up being a key, even with killed vaccines, in terms of the kind of response that we're going to get. But again, probably the biggest disadvantage with a killed vaccine versus the modified live and intranasal or the modified live parental is that we probably do need to give a couple doses of that to get a good response. And I want to follow up on that, Chris, because you mentioned it a little bit about the use of uh, parenteral modified live vaccines, but some veterinarians and producers, again, dogma that's been there for a while, they want to try to get around this maternal antibody interference in young calves. And so some operations have transitioned to using intranasal vaccines in their protocols. However, it sounds like there's new information available about the efficacy of injectable modified live virus vaccines. Can you explain that a little further? Yeah, certainly. So we, again, we published a paper back in 20, looking at BRSV, a BRSV challenge in animals that were given a, a five-way viral vaccine with, that was well adjuvanted. And what we could show is that, and it was, and I'll be honest, it was a bit of a surprise to me when we looked at the data and saw that we got a good IgA response. And the reason for that is, is whether we're talking about intranasal vaccines or parental vaccines, all of them actually have to go through the drain lymph node to be able to elucidate a really a good immune response. And so even intranasal vaccines actually need to go to that drain lymph node. So that immune response is not happening to a much of a degree on the mucosal surface, but rather it's occurring in that drain lymph node. And then once the, we get memory established there, those cells actually traffic back out to that mucosal surface. Now, what we've learned then is that at some of these adjuvants can trick the immune system. And by that, when we give that parental vaccine, so even though it's a parental vaccine, it goes to that, that drain lymph node. 
And what it does is as that memory is formed, it, it, the, the adjuvants actually cause the immune system to think that these cells should traffic back to mucosal surface and give us protection on that surface, which again was, was again because we're talking about respiratory disease, having antibody on a mucosal surface is really a key in terms of that protection. Being able, because now that barrier, I'm enhancing that barrier on that mucosal surface because now I've got secretory antibody that's just waiting for those viruses or bacteria to enter. And again, the the, the beauty of, that we have again with the right sets of adjuvants is that we can indeed mimic that without having to give an internasal vaccine. And that really, to me, is a really a breakthrough that we begin to understand. And it really goes back again to the importance of adjuvant technology. Yeah, and we're using that word, and many of our listeners probably know what that is, Joe, but let's talk about what are adjuvants and why do they make a difference? So, Fred, what adjuvants are, it's, it's additive agents to vaccines. And like uh, Dr. Chase described, that can be in a modified live rental or even a killed uh, vaccine. But those are pieces of that vaccine that are put in there to help presentation of that antigen or whatever pathogen we're trying to vaccinate against to the immune system to make that vaccine better able to be recognized and or processed by the draining lymph node to be taken up and immunity built against it. Whether that immunity is intracellular, extracellular in nature, whether it's cell-mediated immune response or it's a humoral immune response, which is the IgG production and the IgA production that we talked about earlier but the goal behind them is to allow for presentation of that antigen or that viral pathogen so that the, the body will be better able to recognize it as foreign and or be better able to process it when it does recognize it. And I think Dr. Chase described that really when we talk about that going down into the draining lymph node and being presented to the lymph system and how a well-adjuvanted parental and product can be better presented. For example, if there are circulating antibodies, whether they be from passive transfer from colostrum or from previous vaccination, if they recognize a viral antigen, then they're going to attach to that viral antigen and try to eliminate it prior to its ability to get down into the lymph system to be processed but with a well-adjuvanted or well-protected antigen, then it has a higher likelihood of being presented to the dendritic cells, the cells that are going to take it down into the lymph system to be processed and have a better transition to producing either B-cell or T-cell response, which Dr. Chase early in this conversation talked about the value of that, the active immunity and the value of the ability for an animal to reproduce that particular uh, antibody to protect it against exposure much time much later than the initial exposure to that vaccination. And, and why is that particular important adjuvants, Joe, when we're talking about vaccinating young calves for BRD? Absolutely, Fred, because what we have found at Barron Ringelheim specifically is that 
if you have the right adjuvant and you are able to present a through a parental injection a antigen that is not bound up if you will by the IgG from passive transfer then you're going to have a better case of presentation down into the lymph node which hopefully then will cause that animal to have a better immune response and better active immunity moving forward based on its own production. And we have seen that Dr. Chase described the, the study from 2020, and then we feel like we've seen that repeated occasions with other virus antigens as well, specifically BVD type 1 and type 2. There's building data to help understand that an antigen can make a difference and that difference is that much later in that animal's life, without a booster or without another dose post-maternal antibodies, that calves treated with a parental vaccine that has good adjuvant that allows for better utilization and better immune response will be able to fight off infection when they do reach that point of high stress or pathogen exposure later in life. Thanks for that, Joe. Really appreciate the comments to familiarize our listeners with adjuvants and their role, especially in the young calf. We can get the vaccine in the calf. We can handle it properly. We can vaccinate them at the right time. But when we're talking about the calf responding and their immune system responding to what we did, there's so much we can do when we're thinking about that entire dairy or beef production system. What are some of those items on your checklist, Joe, that can be done to make sure that we're enhancing that vaccine response to protect calves against BRD? Absolutely, Fred. I think it's vital for veterinarians and producers to understand just because we gave a vaccination, whether it be an interdasal that we talked about earlier or parental, which we've just talked about with the adjuvants, that's just the beginning. Uh, we are asking an animal to take that and do something with that antigen to create an immune response. It leads to the old question or the old thought of how do we make sure that that animal is receptive to that? Uh, first, for me as a veterinarian that's working for a pharmaceutical company is to help veterinarians understand the importance of handling of that product so that we're actually presenting the best antigen in its best form for the animal. But then after that, making sure that we're providing that antigen or that vaccination to a calf that is in a better place to be able to process it. And by better place, low stress, good nutritional plane, all those factors that are there to create stress and or reduce immune response we, we need to minimize them as much as possible. And I think that's why at Beringer Ingelheim, we focused a lot on getting back to that 30 to 45 day old calf because that calf is in a better nutritional plane. He's maybe not under stress associated with in the dairy production system with early weaning or with weaning stress in an older calf in a beef production system, regardless of what system you're in. We want to present a vaccine that's efficacious at an earlier age when an animal may be in a better position to process that antigen and build better active immunity as that calf goes forward. 
Joe, as we wrap up here, I'd like you to give some comments. I think one of the things about a technical services veterinarian is they get on the interact with so many different veterinarians, producers across across the globe. What do you see as the role of the veterinarian in developing these vaccine programs that are tailored to that individual farm so they can work with their producers to develop those vaccine programs, understanding what those farms are capable of as well as what their needs might be? What is that role? I think, Fred, our role truly is a essential advisor. And I say essential because what veterinarians understand is their own local pathogen risk, environment, stresses, all of the multifactorial components which can help us evaluate whether a vaccine can be placed at a certain time or not. And whether you're the veterinarian applying the vaccine in some geographies or if you're recommending a particular product to use, I think your ability to take all of that information all of your learnings and all of your exposures to those different pathogens allows for you to be a better advisor to that producer at the level of making those recommendations. And one of the goals with talks like this is just to have conversations about what we've learned and what we haven't and being able to take that information, disseminate it down to the level of your producer and then offer that advice to them in whatever form that it may come. And an essential advisor, in my opinion, is the one who is helping them develop that plan. And one of the things that I always say, whether I'm talking to veterinarians or producers, is the most successful production systems out there utilize their advisors and have a plan, build a plan. And I think the veterinarian is an essential part of building that plan. We could talk about nutrition and the importance of that. The nutritionist is a component of that as well. But I think as it comes to overall health, understanding the opportunity with the products that we have available and where those different products and and types of pathogens that those products protect against, the veterinarian can be an essential advisor in making sure that can be in the best interest of the producer at the end. Couldn't agree more, Joe. And I think one of the things that AABP does is we provide information to our members, to our listeners of this podcast. And I try to encourage our listeners as you're driving in your trucks to your clients' farms today, think of questions that you can ask them that will not only uh, help the producer and help their animals, but it will also develop billable hours for you as a veterinarian in that advisor role that Joe just mentioned. So, hey, when you get out of the truck today, why don't you discuss with your clients how are they vaccinating their young calves? What's their young calf vaccination program? Because we always have to follow up, even if we've developed a protocol, are they still doing the protocol? Are they still using the products that you recommended? So ask that question today and walk through that conversation with your producers. I want to thank once again, Berengo Ingelheim for supporting our AABP conference. We just have a great opening reception at both our annual conference, which will be in Columbus us in 2024 in September, as well as our upcoming recent graduate conference in Knoxville. Registration for that recent graduate conference is open. I would encourage 
our listeners, if you're an AABP member who's a recent grad, please come to that conference. It is just a wonderful event. If you're a business owner and you have associate veterinarians that are recent grads, send them to that conference. I guarantee it's money well spent for you. And finally, I want to thank both Joe and Chris for participating in this podcast today. Really appreciate the conversation and your expertise on this topic. Thank you both. You're more than welcome, Fred. Yes, thank you, Fred. I appreciate the opportunity to visit with you and Dr. Chase today.